Alrighty, let's get into the word today. Mark chapter one. If you have a Bible, let's turn, if we can, to Mark chapter one. Don't worry if you didn't bring a Bible or if you don't have one with you. The text will come up on the, on the screen uh, behind me. Mark chapter one. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all that you have done and are doing and begun to do through the worship. Thank you, Jesus, that just that, that last song, Lord God, that invitation for us to re-surrender our lives to you, to yield our hearts, to quieten our hearts. And we wanna do that right now, Lord God. We don't wanna come just with a frantic spirit into your word today. We just wanna take this moment to, to kind of slow our, our hearts down just to yield our hearts to you. And Lord, as best as we know how, to, to open the eyes and ears of our hearts so that we can hear you today, so that we can see what you are doing. Thank you, Lord, that you don't wanna just teach, but you wanna touch hearts and lives. And I pray, Lord God, that, that we would be ready to receive all that you wanna do with us today, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just refresh us even now. Just a fresh opportunity again, just to surrender and yield and submit to your Lordship. Thank you that you have saved us, Lord. But thank you that your, your, your rule, your Lordship is one of grace and mercy, and love, and peace, and power as we come into your presence. Thank you, Lord. May your peace rest on us as we go through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I started uh, preparing this message on Wednesday, uh, sitting in the team room um, just on the other side of the building, and in there is this big whiteboard, and I, I took my first stab at kind of scribbling what I thought would be the title for today's message. And as I did that, my daughter, who was using the workspace, walked in to say hello, and she saw what I'd written across the top of the whiteboard, and she proceeds to tell me that there's this uh, a trend on TikTok that is very similar to the title, going under the hashtag, a day in my life. Um, and then I didn't know what she was talking about. I was starting to feel my age. So she proceeded to send me a couple of examples, a day in the life of a busy college student, a day in the life of a second grade teacher, a day in the life of a professional ski jumper. I, I honestly didn't know any of these things existed. There were over 30 million hashtags of a day in my life. I, I've gotta say, and, and I, this comes with the instruction not to look at it now, but only look at it after the, <laughs> the service. A day in the life of a professional skier, ski jumper is actually really funny, but don't look at that, that now. But it, it brought up the, the question, I began to think through, like, what would my hashtag be? A day in my life. And maybe it's a question you can just think through. What would your hashtag be if you were to post what a day in your life looked like? Today, what we're gonna do in Mark chapter one is we're gonna look at a day in the life of Jesus, which 
tops every single one of those 30 million hashtags. And that's what Mark chapter one is all about. It's, a, it's the story, it's the retelling of a typical day in Jesus's life. If you're joining us for the first time today, if you went with us last Sunday, this is the second part in our four and a half month long journey through Mark's gospel, a series that we've entitled Step Into God's Story. And last week we learned that Mark began to write his gospel as he listened to the preaching and the retelling by Peter of what it looked like and what it felt like to follow Jesus what it looked like for Peter to to be with and to become like and to do the things that Jesus did. And so our goal throughout the series, the the question that essentially we're trying to ask and answer through this series is, how do we follow Peter's footsteps by stepping into God's story? But just to say, this is not us following Peter, ultimately we are following Jesus. Matthew takes 76 verses in his introduction, and Luke takes 182 verses, but Mark covers in 15 verses the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism by the Holy Spirit, his temptation by the devil, and his defeat of the devil, and in 15 verses, he eventually gets to the point that he wants to get to, the time, the first moment when Peter comes face to face with Jesus, the first time that Peter begins to step into God's story. Look at verse 16 of Mark chapter one with me. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. This was not Jesus asking Peter, how can I help you? This was not Jesus stepping into Simon Peter's story as sometimes I think we often want God to do or Jesus to do with us. This was very much Simon Peter stepping into Jesus's story, stepping into God's story, which is why Jesus asks him, makes the invitation, come follow me. Those, Those words, come follow me, carry so much weight and so much significance. There's unqualified acceptance in those words. There's prophetic promise and prophetic purpose in those words. To be honest, if we we did a deep dive into Come, Follow Me, that's probably a sermon series all on its own. But, But there are a couple things I do wanna say before we move on from this particular text, that particular verse. We, We live in a world that elevates and exalts those who know or those who at least claim to know. We live in a world that demands answers and understanding now. We live in a world that looks for steps and methods and formulas to guaranteed results. And we live in a world that often doesn't understand and doesn't have the patience to commit to a journey towards understanding. And the challenge is, is that we take all of this thinking and all of this mindset into our relationship with Jesus. Friends, we've got to understand the Bible doesn't answer every question. And the Bible certainly doesn't give us three or five or seven steps to guaranteed success. And the Bible will never teach us something or never allow us to come into understanding without something of a journey. Because the Bible is not calling us to follow principles. 
The Bible's inviting us to follow a person. And that person is Jesus. Come, follow me, was Jesus's invitation to Simon Peter. To all who are weary and burdened in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. He doesn't give us three or five steps to guaranteed rest. And so perhaps this is an obvious thing to say, but I'm gonna say it nonetheless. Stepping into God's story looks like following Jesus. So the passage we're gonna look at today is Mark chapter one, starting in verse 21. And I'm gonna go all the way through to verse 45. It's a lengthy passage, and my approach today is gonna be a little different. We're gonna slowly work our way through the text, and we're gonna be pausing here and there to make some observations and some comments. And then at the end, I'm gonna give us five or six kind of handles, some applications that we can take home with us today. Before we get to the text, just quickly, a, a quick reminder, verse 14 and 15 is Mark's summary of Jesus's ministry. He says in verse 14, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe the good news. So what we're about to read is verse 14 and 15 with arms and legs. It's a hashtag day in the life of Jesus. Verse 21, let's jump in. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Capernaum was on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, about 30 miles northeast of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And Jesus has now, had now traveled to Capernaum and Capernaum became the ground zero, as it were, of Jesus's ministry, his three years of ministry. Some commentators even say that Jesus headquartered his ministry out of Simon Peter's house. We're gonna read about that in a, in a few moments. And this typical day in Jesus's life took place on a Sabbath. The Sabbath was the time of rest between sunset on Friday evening and sunset on Saturday evening. I, I wanna pause there for a moment and just to say that understanding the Bible's teaching on Sabbath and how that applies to us is an entire topic, is another topic, just like Come Follow Me, that is deserving of its own sermon series. But I think there are a couple things I, I just wanna quickly add so that we don't miss the significance of what Jesus is about to do on the Sabbath and what, how it applies to us. The Pharisees had overloaded the Sabbath with rules, so, so many rules, that observing it was actually harder than living out a normal weekday. It was even unlawful in their minds for anyone to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus's intention, God's intention was never that the Sabbath was about working hard so that we can persuade God or somehow convince God to bless us. But, but listen to this, it was essentially about downing tools so that we could pick up the blessing that God had already made available for us in Jesus. And so when Jesus sets this demonized man free that we're gonna read about in a few moments. He sets this man free on the Sabbath. He's driving the point home that we cannot work for. We cannot try to earn or we cannot somehow twist God's arm to bless us or to free us or to save us. 
What could that demonized man do to get free? Nothing. And I wanna say likewise, friends, we need to put our quote unquote tools down so that we can open our hands and receive what is freely available to us by faith in Jesus. So this day in Jesus's life took place on a Sabbath, but it also, as you can see in verse 21, it took, it, it took place in a synagogue. The synagogue was the epicenter of Jewish life. Uh, the, throughout the week, things happened at the synagogue and the week was highlighted by a service that took place on, uh, on the Sabbath. The service typically included prayer and a reading from the Torah and then typically a, a visiting rabbi or a visiting Pharisee or scribe, as was the case with Jesus, he was a rabbi, he was visiting that town, they would come and give a teaching on the Bible reading that had just taken place. Look at verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I've read one or two resources that offer the idea that the way that a rabbi would interpret or teach the Torah was called his yoke. So his yoke or his interpretation of the Torah was almost always passed down to his disciple as that teaching or interpretation of the Torah was passed down to him. So typically the, uh, uh, the sermon un unpacking the teaching on the Torah would go something like, Rabbi so-and-so says this, or Rabbi so-and-so says that. But every now and then, there came a rabbi with authority. There came a rabbi who had fresh insights and fresh understanding of the scriptures, and that was Jesus. Friends, Jesus didn't tell the story of the world, sorry, Jesus was telling the story of the world as the author of the world. He wasn't one who quoted authority, Jesus is the authority. Later in Matthew chapter 11, and I referred to it a few moments ago, Jesus would describe his yoke. He would describe his teaching or his interpretation of the Torah. Come to me. There's that invitation again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my teaching, take my ways, take my life upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke, my teaching, my ways, my interpretation of the scriptures is easy and my burden is light. It's no wonder that quite soon after Jesus began preaching, his synagogue had to become a hillside where crowds would gather because he was a rabbi who taught with authority. His yoke was easy and his burden was light and he began to show people what it looked like when the kingdom of God broke in as will become apparent in the next few verses. Verse 23, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. And the impure, impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits 
and they obey him. <clears throat> I mentioned last Sunday that I've been working through the book of Mark in my devotions. And uh, two weeks ago, I came across the text in Mark chapter four, where Jesus quietens a violent storm and the disciples are, are kind of quite surprised and they ask each other, who is this? And last Sunday, I gave my best answer, my best interpretation of, of who I think the Bible teaches that Jesus is. But what's amazing is that in Mark's gospel, it, it tells the account of, of, the, of the disciples and Jesus going all the way across the Sea of Galilee, going through a vicious storm to get to the place where they were going so they could encounter a man who was demonized. And when they encounter this man, the, the demon that was oppressing that man knew the answer to the disciples' question. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And, and the demon that was possessing the man in the synagogue knew the answer to the disciples' question too. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I find it fascinating that humankind has been debating and, and, and kind of arguing for millennia as to who has ultimate authority. But the spiritual world knows exactly who sits on the throne. They knew that Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to defeat the darkest evil. And as with the storm in Mark chapter four and, and, and in setting free the man possessed by a demon in Mark five, and as is the case right here, Jesus silences and commands the demon to go and to, and, and to set those men free with a simple command. It must have been mind-boggling for those sitting in the synagogue, not mind-boggling because a demon had manifest, but mind-boggling that someone was able to come in and with a simple command set somebody free. It was quite common in biblical times for Pharisees or scribes or teachers of the law to try to, uh, uh, in, uh, try to impart, deliver, uh, to impart freedom as they kind of quoted scripture and, and used chants and various incantations. There's a beautiful scene in The Chosen, uh, the, the, um, the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus. You, you can find it online uh, on an app. And, and in season one, episode one, there's this incredible scene where Nicodemus, a Pharisee, tries to set Mary Magdalene free of the demons that are tormenting her. And he walks into her room and he's got, he's got kind of beads and, and he's, he's using chants and incantations and, and he leaves terrified and petrified because he was unable to set her free. And right at the end of that first episode, if you've seen it, you'll know what an incredible scene it is. Jesus comes to Mary Magdalene and calls her by name and then begins to recites a prayer that she had been praying, that her father taught her from Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. And Jesus takes Mary Magdalene, takes her face in his arms and she's set free. It's a beautiful scene. We cannot, friends, we cannot make the mistake of thinking that demon, demons and the demonic and the demonic oppression was, was true for then, but not true now. Or, or it might be true in other parts of the world, but not true here. 
And we definitely cannot look to Hollywood for our understanding of what the demonic and deliverance looks like. But I do think there is one movie that probably has the most insightful thing to say about the demonic. I quoted this line last year and called the movie The Unusual Suspects, when in fact it's The Usual Suspects. I got so many rebukes and emails to correct me. So it is The Usual Suspects. The very last line is this, but listen to this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. But friends, those of us who are in Jesus need not be intimidated or fearful of demons. Jesus has the authority, and with a simple word, demons obey, which is so out of sync with Hollywood's portrayal of what deliverance and the demonic looks like. And he has passed that authority onto us. Don't turn there, but just make a note of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is the passage of scripture where Jesus gathers 72 ordinary followers, like you and me, and he gives them authority to go out and to preach the news that the kingdom of God was at hand. And they return to Jesus excited and saying this, even the demons submit to us in your name. They saw Jesus's authority operating through them because listen to this, Jesus's authority is the right to act and speak as if he were present. Deliverance and authority is not a tug of war on a horizontal plane. Deliverance and authority is a vertical passing down or a vertical chain of command from Jesus to us over demons and the demonic. And so for as long as we are submitted to God and under his word, as long as we are under authority, we have authority. But most importantly, Jesus reminds the 72, and I wanna, I wanna remind you as Jesus reminds us, what we should be celebrating. He says this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Do not rejoice, we should not rejoice that we can operate in power. We should rejoice in the fact that our names are written in heaven. I say all of this, friends, not for us to focus on demons or deliverance, but for us to understand that the authority that every single one of us seated here today who are in Jesus, the authority that we carry by virtue of us being in Jesus and by virtue of us being given the name of Jesus. James chapter four summarizes it best. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's no wonder that the people in the synagogue were amazed. And then look at verse 28. It's no wonder that news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus' day continues in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, so now the, the scene has changed to the early afternoon. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. This was not a single family home or apartment that we are particularly, uh, are most likely familiar with. This was, a, this was a, a housing complex where the extended family would live together. And if anyone were to come to me and ask if this is the, bu the biblical precedent for mothers-in-law to live with you, I'm gonna take the Fifth Amendment on that. <laughs> Simon's mother-in-law, verse 30, was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. And then because the townsfolk couldn't travel, 
It's actually against the law to travel on the Sabbath. They had to wait until Saturday evening, the sunset of Saturday evening. Verse 32, that evening, they, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's remarkable, the synagogue service was over, but interestingly, Mark in his writing uses the same word to, to tell us that the townsfolk were synagoguing at Peter's front door. And if we are to believe what commentators say, that's probably about 1,500 people who had gathered around the front door of Peter in order to receive ministry from Jesus. It exhausts me just reading this. I have to be honest, if my Sunday afternoon is free, it is guaranteed that I'm having a Sunday afternoon map. Uh, I was talking to Nana about that, there he is. Him and I were just saying what our plan is for this afternoon after we have lunch together. And if my Sunday afternoon is busy, it's a double guarantee that I'm falling asleep in front of the TV by seven o'clock. It happens every single Sunday, but here's Jesus. He's ministering to every single person that is there. And I can hear some of you thinking, but of course he is, it's Jesus. He's the son of God, to which I say, no. Well, he is the son of God, but I say, I say no, Jesus veiled his deity. When, I was, when my son was growing up, uh, I would have to veil my strength when the two of us would wrestle to give the appearance that we were at similar strength. Now my strength has to be unveiled for us to, to have the appearance of what it looks like. I know that's a, it's an imperfect example, but friends, the point I'm trying to make is Jesus did all of this because he was baptized by, anointed by, strengthened by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and he relied on his intimate relationship with his heavenly Father, which is, explained in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. They had an agenda for what Jesus should do on that day. But Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Hashtag a day in Jesus' life is blowing up. And the disciples are eager to maximize the momentum that Jesus' ministry and news about him had, had garnered. But, but I love Jesus' clarity of focus. He, he, he understands the source and the wellspring of his capacity to minister and the clarity of focus that was required to minister that way. The source of that was his relationship with his father. I love Jesus's willingness to say no to others and also to embrace the limits that his heavenly father had lovingly set for him. I've shared often over the years from this pulpit about my struggle 
Um, certainly in the earlier days of leading this church, how, how desperate I was to, uh, to appear successful. What even is success? I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother thing to talk about. And it got me into a terrible place where I was working 80 plus hours a week. I had an, an inability to delegate to anyone. And I was so afraid of hearing from any of you, you were not there for me. And it was my own fault. And it, it, drove, me, it drove me to a terrible, terrible place. I began to compare the gifts that God had given me to the gifts that God had given e each of you. And I began to see your gifts as so unlimited and my gifts somehow so limited. And instead of knowing how to thank God for what he had given me, I, I, I got frustrated because I was comparing and I felt like my gifts were never enough. I felt like God was overlooking and had forgotten me. But over the years, I, I began this journey of discovering what it looked like to be, to, to, what, it, what it was uniquely like to be called by God and what it was uniquely like to not be given the gifts that I hadn't been given. What I had been called to and what I hadn't been called to. What I had been given and what I hadn't been given. And I began to understand that what God was looking for was not success. And Matt brought it up earlier. He was looking, and he still is, looking for faithfulness. In the parable of the talents, there's a master, there's symbolic of God, representative of God, who gives his servants, gives us, Five, two, or three, and one talent. And in, in imparting five, three, and one talents, the master, God, is also setting very clear limits and boundaries on what he does give and what he doesn't give. But to each one of the servants, he asks the same thing. Faithfulness. Friends, we've got to understand that even Jesus had limits set on him. That's what the whole thing about the devil trying to attack Jesus. The devil was trying to get Jesus to operate outside of the boundaries of the limitations that God had placed on him. Even Jesus had to learn faithfulness for 30 years to learn what it was meant, what it would look like to be faithful as a son and to be a, and to be a carpenter, not operating in the supernatural for the first 30 years. When we learn to identify and live fully within the limits God has entrusted to us, we learn faithfulness. Friends, faithfulness for some of us in this room is learning to put some things down that God has not asked us to, to pick up. And faithfulness for others in this room is actually to pick up some of the talents and the gifts that God has given you so that we can be faithful. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse two behind me. Now it is required there is an expectation from God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, every one of us have been given a trust, must prove successful. That's how I used to read that verse. Now it is, being, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithful with what God has given us. We can't do everything. All that God asks us to do is the things he has entrusted to us. So let's put down what we aren't called to pick up and let's pick up the things that we are called to pick up. 
Verse 39, and so Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And so what started in Capernaum was, was now happening everywhere in village after village and in home after home, up and down the, the shore of the lake. And, and verse 40 begins a brief illustration of what that looked like. A man with leprosy came to him, begging him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, is the NIV translation. Some translations say Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news as a result. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Leprosy was the worst of the worst of diseases, it was the most feared of all sicknesses, but perhaps even worse than that was the fact that someone who had leprosy was deemed unclean, unable to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. In fact, if a Jewish citizen came within 50 feet of anyone who was leprous, the leprous person had to shout out, unclean, unclean, to keep people away. Verse 41, there's that interesting word, Jesus was indignant. Some translations say Jesus was filled with compassion. It's the same word that is used in John chapter 11 when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb and it said that Jesus was moved with compassion or Jesus was uh, uh, deeply moved. So this word means to be, to, uh, to, be fil- uh, to be indignant, to be filled with compassion, to be deeply moved, to be enraged or to snort with anger like a horse about to go into battle. Jesus was not indignant at the leper's question. Jesus was enraged at the leper's condition. And he was about to go into battle. He was about to go into battle with the demonic and to set this man free. And so Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out and he touches the man. And in doing so, he does the impossible. He heals him. Let's bring this into land. The passage that we've just looked at is not just a list of Jesus's random acts of kindness, although Jesus is infinitely kind. Mark chapter one shows us what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven breaks in. When Jesus is king, there is freedom and there is healing and there is release and there is renewal and there is acceptance, and there is wholeness, and there is access into the presence of God. And if we are to learn how to step into God's story, to to follow Jesus, to know what it looks like to be with and to be like and to do what Jesus did, I want to leave leave us with six things that we can learn from this passage. Today it doesn't come with alliteration, just (laughs) random thoughts. Firstly, We need to, well, this one has got a little alliteration. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. We minister and we are on mission with Jesus when we gather on Sundays and 
when we are scattered throughout the week. We minister and are on mission with Jesus when we gather on Sundays and when we scatter throughout the week. Doing what Jesus was doing, Jesus' ministry and Jesus' mission happened in the synagogue and it happened from his home. Friends, this is great. Coming together on a Sunday morning. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I believe this should be prioritized. Gathering together after the, a busy week to, to come together with one another, to, to worship Jesus and to sit under the preaching of his word and to, and to pray over one another and to fellowship together. But friends, despite the fact that this should be prioritized, this is not it. And neither, can I say, is gathering together in life groups, as important as that is, or with a group of friends to pray and to, and to have accountability with. It's great and it's important, but it's not it. A quick shout out for the men's ministry. We gathered on Friday night and men in this room, and I'm sure Sheetal, the women's ministry is phenomenal too, but I wanna say for a moment, men in this room, you need to be at the next men's ministry meeting. It is gonna be phenomenal this year. But can I say, it's not it. We need to prioritize gathering together on Sundays and we need to prioritize gathering together in smaller groups and doing other things. And can I say, as things begin to open up, we need to use our homes, not as a retreat from the world, but a place to minister to the world. Secondly, we need to carve out time to get alone with God just like Jesus did. We need to carve out time to get alone with God just like Jesus. Jesus found and he fought for his rhythm of renewal and refreshing. So let me ask you this, what is your rhythm of renewal and refreshing? And it changes all the time depending on seasons of life. But friends, we need to figure it out. Whatever it looks like, what is your rhythm of refreshing and renewal? Thirdly, don't believe the lie that you have to work, that you have to get your stuff together before you are suitable enough for God to receive you. Don't believe the lie that you've got to get your stuff together before you are suitable enough for God to receive you. That's just like a sick person waiting to get well before he goes and sees a doctor. God makes the unclean clean and he makes the unrighteous righteous. Fourthly, what would hashtag a day in your life look like? What would hashtag a day in your life look like? Would it look like anything like we've just read about Jesus's? Do we, and this is a challenge for me, I've been asking myself this question, do we live with the expectation that God's kingdom could break through in any moment into my life and through my life to those around me? Or is our normal abnormal in the context of God's kingdom? Let's not settle for anything less than what Jesus paid for on the cross. Fifthly, God's heart, God's intention is not just enough. Not healed, not restored, just enough. But healed and restored and made whole so that we can live life as it was meant to be lived. God's God's heart is not that we live in maintenance mode, but that we discover what the fullness of life is and what it looks like to live that way. 
And can I say, friends, I'm not just standing here throwing out charismatic platitudes to you. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm facing a, a challenge that I've been carrying for the last four years that is at times exhausting. I feel like I'm in the trenches. If you've seen that movie, um, that World War I movie that recently came out, I forget the name of it. Uh, no, 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 19, 1917. If you haven't seen it, it's an incredible movie, but it shows the, what it feels like to be a, a World War, first World War soldier getting out of the trenches and facing that fear and, and, and anticipation of, of the onslaught. And I know what it is like to be there, wondering if today is the day where God is gonna break in miraculously. I know what it is like to feel fatigue from having faith not being answered right away. But I wanna say, friends, we can't give up in trusting God for his best in our lives. And that brings me to point number six. When you and I pray and we don't see people healed or set free, it can be tempting to respond to that disappointment by embracing that leprous theology that wonders if God is at your will to heal. And I wanna say, friends, we need to fight together and not doubt that Jesus is the healer. We need to trust that, that God has given us the authority to set people who are bound free and people who are sick made whole. And let's follow Peter. Let's, step, let's follow his footsteps. And as we step into God's story, let's trust that we would see as many people healed as Peter later on began to see healed. This was hashtag a day in Jesus's life. What does yours look like? I'd love for us to close in prayer and end in worship if we can. Can I get the worship team to come up? I'd love for us to sing that song, You Reign Above It All. I just think that's such an appropriate song for us to, to end with this morning. And I'd love for us to respond this morning, not just listening to what hopefully was an interesting teaching, but to trust for God to break into our hearts and lives. And so Heavenly Father, as we, as we just bring this morning's gathering into land, as we, as we trust Lord God for you to move in and through every one of our hearts and lives, we just ask Lord God that you would settle and just work whatever truth that you highlighted to, to each of us deep down into our hearts. Would you come and do that now, Holy Spirit, I pray. Would you come and move on our hearts?